Alright, so this week we're going to start with a uh, thought exercise. I want you to think about a time when you have had to try and change somebody's mind. Two people who are particularly entrenched on an issue and you're like, okay, I'm going to try and change their mind. How hard is it? It's pretty difficult, right? Um, when I started to get involved in um, the kind of work that I do now and then leading into this podcast, um, I've done a lot of study into psychology and something you learn very early on is how hard it is for a person to change their own mind, let alone to have somebody else change their mind for them. So if it's difficult to do it once, imagine if you had to do that with somebody every single day and then imagine it wasn't just one person, but it was 30 persons. Welcome to the life of a teacher, everybody. This week on The Andrew Curtis Show, I thought I'd take a risk and uh, have somebody on the show who is going to talk about something that you already completely understand, right? Because we all know teaching, we had teachers, our kids have got teachers, uh, our friends, teachers, all that kind of nonsense. Something that I learned very quickly um, when um, members of my family became teachers and then also close friends of mine, uh, that what I thought teaching involved and what teaching actually involves are two very different things. Um, and so in an effort to expand, um, well, my understanding and yours, um, I invited somebody on the show who I thought was uniquely placed to speak to this. Her name is Steph Curtis. If that name sounds familiar, it's because uh, she's my sister-in-law. But she is also someone who is so passionate about teaching, uh, it inspires me. And so if there was ever anyone I was going to speak to who would give a bit of insight into what drives a teacher who really wants to make a difference, it would be a conversation with her. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give to you, Steph Curtis. Coming to you live from the most stunning Browns Bay view that you're likely to see this afternoon. It certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> Steph Curtis, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. First, let's address a scandalous rumor that we're somehow related. We are. Wow. How lucky am I? <sighs> Look, this is just a mutual adoration society right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's good. Yes, yes. I, I, for my sins, married your brother. Yeah, and, and for my sins, he's my brother. Yeah. So, you know. Everyone wins. <laughs> <laughs> Now that we've got that potential awkwardness out of the way, um, I'm thrilled that you're actually here to talk with me about this today because I have noticed almost completely by accident over the course of the podcast that I've done, there's been this ongoing trend of talking to people about growth and development and how that happens. Yep. Uh, and you are uniquely qualified to provide a perspective <laughs> on that. Um because of what you do for a job, which is? Yes, I am a high school teacher yeah. uh, at a North Shore school mm -hmm. and I teach English specifically. I have taught some media as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've done it for six years, so. And to be honest, the more remarkable thing from my perspective is that I have observed that you genuinely love what you do. I do, I have, I tell people this all the time, I have the best job in the world. And yet occasionally the worst job in the world, right? Sometimes the worst. <laughs> <laughs> But mostly the best, nine, yeah. nine times out of ten the best. Yeah, because yeah. I can think very easily of, of teachers that I had who perhaps I don't think enjoyed even children, let yeah. alone their job. Well, no, and there's definitely truth to that. There are people that you can, that I, that I have worked with mm. um, who sometimes you're like, why, why do you do this job? <laughs> Did you Surely this it's pure torture. <laughs> um, but for the most part, the majority of people that I work with, yeah. they love what they do and they love the people that they teach. So where does that enjoyment come from for you? Well, there's always, you know, the classic aha moments. Okay. Uh, you get a real buzz out of that when a kid, like the light bulb goes on. Right. Uh, and I think that's the kind of cod example that people give the most mm -hmm. you know obvious thing but the thing that i love is that no two days are ever the same yeah. and i have worked jobs in the past with mundane day-to-day -day, boring right and it was just not for me yeah um and, but the the biggest thing is the interaction yeah with colleagues but mostly with the students yeah yeah because you mentioned um we talk more than just at podcast by the way so we were <laughs> we were talking the other day about this and you also made a comment about how um, being a teacher for you is also about kind of being the teacher that maybe you would have wanted absolutely or needed. yeah and and I did I did have teachers that were like I strive to be um, full disclosure I was not the best student at high school yeah uh, <laughs> I managed to pull it out in the end just enough to get to university but I was uh, you know truanting yeah. and off doing 
bad things and not always as focused on my studies as I might be. Sure. Uh, and I often think about that when I, when I thought about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. And, you know, I was 25 when I was having these thoughts. So it wasn't <laughs> like straight out of high school. I knew yeah. I'd always be a teacher. Um, if you I... hear slurping songs, but songs, slurping sounds, by the way, we're drinking coffee as we do this. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Um, and I, I thought about the people who influenced me mm-hmm. in my life, not just as teachers, but all the people that had influenced me when I thought, what do I want to do? Um, and there were a couple of teachers that really stuck out to me. Mm. And I think about what they gave me and why, when I looked back, I say that like I was, you know, really old, 25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, why were they the ones that stuck with me? And that kind of informs a lot of why I, uh, how I try and interact with the students. Yeah. yeah. See, but so. I kind of love that because that understanding of, I mean, school's a thing we're all forced to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like it or not, you yeah. will go to school. Yeah. Um, and to understand that, um, I don't know, just that disengagement and, and what that feels like to be in it. That's right. Is that something you could speak to? And I mean, I'm lucky in a lot of respects, working in a decile 10 North Shore school, Uh um, that there are a lot of issues that a lot of other schools in our country have that we have less of. Mm. I'm not going to say we don't have them at all, but we have less uh, or fewer issues with poverty um, as a a main issue in our school. Mm. One of the biggest issues we do have is motivation and engagement. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of students don't see the point in a lot of what they're doing. Okay. And I, I can hear myself saying, why do I need to learn maths? I'm never going to go there. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to learn, you know, the chemical elements on the table because I've no intention of being a scientist. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's, it's hard to translate to a teenage brain that learning in and of itself, no matter what you're learning, is valuable. Yeah, right. The skill of learning is really valuable. So, and the main way to do that is relationships. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk on that? Because there's there's a lot of things that, again, in our non-podcast related conversations, we've spoken yes. about how education structured. But let's let's start with that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's what's the big thing that you for you that stands out there? Well, and we've discussed this. There is a TED talk by a woman called Rita Pearson that changed the way I teach. Yeah. Uh, it changed my pedagogy. Uh, <laughs> see, I dropped in the fancy education word. I'm an English teacher, everyone. <laughs> yep. Uh, and her whole... For those who don't know what pedagogy means, by the way. <laughs> the way you teach. There you go. Yep. Thank you, Karen. Um The whole kind of focus of her ideas are around relationship and the importance and value of relationship. Mm. Uh, she talks about how no significant learning can happen without relationship. Sure. And I absolutely believe that to be true Mm. and i think if if anybody of any listeners if you think Mm. back to the teachers perhaps that you didn't feel like you learned so much from yeah did you feel like you had a relationship with them Mm. i think it's a problematic word because we think relationship has to be best friends yeah to be buddy buddy right that is not the case i'm i'm not friends with any of my students sorry guys (laughs) (laughs) you're listening (laughs) Sorry, but um, but I'm friendly and I have a connection yeah, right. with many of them. Now, I think to stand there and say I have a relationship with every student that I teach mm. is a bit egotistical because I don't think I teach 100 kids. Mm. I don't think I could say hand on my heart. I have a relationship with every one of those kids. Yeah, I wish I did. But when you have 50 minutes yeah. and 30 kids in the room, mm. hopefully at some point through the 40 weeks I'm with them, I can have that moment of connection with them. Whether it's, how did your sports team do on the weekend? Mm. Like that is so powerful. Uh, but you have to have that relationship in some way to connect with them. And you're gonna get the kids who are really keen to learn, yeah. who are highly academic, driven, motivated students who will learn regardless. But for the ones who have those issues with motivation, with engagement in the lesson, if you can get them, hook them in with relationship, it doesn't matter what you're teaching them, 
they'll get into it. What's that comment that Rita makes? People don't learn from people they don't like. Yeah. Yeah, people don't learn from people they don't like. Yeah, um, and, and just briefly too, I mean, that has implications far broader than just high schools. Oh, totally. Uh, you yeah. know, that when we understand this, I think part of the reason for the disconnect we experience is we don't really have an understanding of, of people throughout the different stages of their life. And sometimes we think, well, you know, we think people can be treated one way in one context, but a different way in mm-hmm. a different context. Um, but we're not like that. And so I've heard stories in my work with you know businesses and things like that when they're training people and they're saying oh we're having real trouble with xyz and like fundamentally you think i can tell they don't like them yeah and you go well absolutely and it opens the door for conversations if mm. you feel like you have a connection a relationship whatever word you want to use yeah they you can have those more com- difficult conversations mm. in a more confident way and they will respond to you better as well. Mm. So if a student, I one of the classes I teach is a particularly, um, I'm loath to use the word lower ability because that's that's not actually a fair representation of them. Mm. But they're, stu- they're in year 13, their final year, and they've struggled for various reasons to get the credits they need. Sure. So they're in a smaller class with me. Uh, Sometimes it's been that engagement and motivation. And so I have a chat with them at the beginning of the year and say, look, you know, you're capable of these credits. What's happened? Wow. Uh, Do you ever get surprised by what comes up? uh, Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But they'll be surprisingly honest. They'll say, I was really lazy last year. Wow. I was really lazy. And they take it on themselves. Um, has anyone, do you find people have ever had that conversation with them before that point? Or? I think so. I yeah. think so. Not not everybody, but uh, okay. I think there are there are plenty of teachers in certainly in the school that I work in who are we're, we're more of a relational type school, I would say overall. Okay. Uh, where conversation is valued, hmm. and so I think by meeting them even on those first few days, kids that would traditionally be put into a box hmm. of you haven't got credits, so you are dumb. Mm. Uh, it, it gives them some of their agency back. Yeah. Like, you, why has this happened? Mm. Where can we go from here? What do you want to achieve by mm. the end of the year? Yeah. And setting realistic deadlines and yeah. things for them. So, um, and I've been very lucky with them. Most of that class I had in the year 12 year. Mm. So I've taken them through to year 13. Okay. Few have left, a few others have joined the class, and so altogether, I I have taught all the kids in that class, yeah, bar maybe four. At some point in their schooling career, mm. and man, that makes a difference. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, you and you hear a lot from them kind of after the fact as well, too, don't you? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I've had yeah messages from kids years after they've left, just to say, I read this book and it made me think of you. Wow. Or um. And I think mo- like most teachers will get that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I hope. What, what would hope? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, but that's amazing. That yeah. is like, there's a reason why you do the job is to yeah. get that little buzz later and, um, yeah, to know that you've kind of impacted somebody in some way. Yeah. Maybe there's something a bit megalomaniac about that of like, ah, I have all the power. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, making a difference though, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, it sounds so cheesy, but it's true. I, I yeah. mean, I, that's what we strive for, right? We yeah. strive for them walking out of the room at the end of the year mm. better than they were when they walked in, mm. whether that's in terms of skills or mm. uh, their position for going on to higher education, if that's what they want to do, or mm. going into a trade, or knowing sort of what they want to do. <laughs> Although I'm a big advocate of not being okay with not knowing what you want to do when you leave high school. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, hopefully you do, you do make a difference. <laughs> okay, um, something then that I wanted to step into, because I guess you alluded to something already when you started talking about credits and things like that, that mm-hmm. for those of us who have not gone to school during the NCEA era, uh, there's a lot that we don't get. But bigger than that, Um, And something that I've become more aware of too, just knowing you, is that yours is probably one of the most misunderstood professions that I'm aware (laughs) of. 
Um, because, you know, people make jokes about you guys getting 12 weeks of holiday a year mm-hmm. and you only work from 9 until 3. Yep. Where the reality is it's closer to 3 a.m. till 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are some of the misconceptions that you've experienced to the things that are, are most evident to you? The holiday things, obviously the big one that stands out. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know a teacher who has 12 weeks of holiday a year. Right. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, but I think uh, my husband and I have talked about it a few times. He, he has taught in a high school and taught outside in adult education as well. And But he only started doing that after we were married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said there's kind of three layers to knowing what a teacher does. One is what you think they do. Uh, if you have no interaction with them, which sure. is largely, I think, informed by your time at school. Right. So you saw them there yeah. from nine till three. You didn't see them in the holidays. Yeah, right. You assume they sleep in the library or something. <laughs> um, and there's always that moment where you see a teacher outside yeah. Yeah, of school. Yeah, right. And he's like, wait a minute, you exist in another yeah, world. <laughs> this is wrong. Uh, by the way, I'm the embarrassing teacher who then turns around at the mall when sees them and goes, hi, guys. Hi, it's me. It's your teacher. Your teacher. You remember me? I gave you that homework. <laughs> and they hide from me. It's great. It works wonders. Yeah. Um, but then uh, after we were married, I think he had a, a deeper understanding of the work that comes home with you mm. um, and the, the hours and the holidays and, th- and that sort of thing. Um, and then, of course, an extra level when he became a teacher sure. himself. Uh, but I think one of the biggest misunderstandings is the idea that you can when you do stop working Mm. either at work or at home doing your marking and stuff that you switch off your brain from thinking about oh i must remember that i've got to speak to that kid about this thing and this thing about that thing uh and i think it's always with you yeah it's always with you um and i don't want to be like a oh teachers are so hard such a hard job because you choose to do the job yeah and i try really hard not to complain about the marking because that's that's the job yeah right. you know that's like a surgeon complaining that he has to cut people open <laughs> you know it's part of the job it's annoying but... I, love, I, love, I love the analogy that just the comparison there it's like it's basically the same thing <laughs> as chopping somebody open and fishing around for their organs yeah yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> see i'm an english teacher i love a metaphor mm. and a hyperbole mm. uh, so it it is a, it's a tough job because it stays with you. I think that's the thing yeah. that people don't realize is that you're constantly thinking about other people's children in a really <laughs> non-creepy way. <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> Something you've said to me as well is that it's also not... The work itself is not what people think the work is. Mm. Um, in terms of people thinking, oh, okay, so you're standing in front of a, in front of a class and then you're marking. Yep. What else is there? Um, there's discipline. Yeah. You know, it's an unfortunate part of the job. If they all sat there and did all their work all the time, everything would be wonderful. But teenagers, yeah. and, and I know we're going to talk about it later, Yeah. teenagers are irrational beings. Well, let's start to talk about that now, because okay. I think I think that's a that's a key part. But yeah. in terms of the, yeah, the, the extra work side of it, yes, managing, managing, is that the right word? Yes. Corralling. Yeah. Yep. Um, herding. herding cats. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's an extra part of it. The paperwork. Yeah is ridiculous yeah <laughs> and i'm i think you know it's there's often teaching i uh, can't think of the right word <laughs> ironic um <laughs> <laughs> so like rules and regulations that are passed down to us oh, like yeah, you sure. need to you need to fill in this form or you need to complete this piece of work and you mm. need to tick off these boxes and it's, it's just five minutes more mm. it's just five minutes more but if you're a fully registered teacher mm. You get one at, at our in our particular timetable set up. You get one fifty-minute period a day of non-contact with your classes. Sure. And in that, if I worked from eight at eight forty-five when the first bell rang till three fifteen when the last bell rang, yeah. in that fifty minutes, I would have to do all my marking, yeah, all my admin, and all those little. It's just five minutes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's not that simple. But it's, um, but it's. I say that, and I don't want to sound like a complaining teacher because it's so worth it. Yeah, it is so worth it. Yeah. So how do you, in terms of living in that space, though? I mean, how do you observe that affects teachers and and the way they approach their work as well? It's uh, it's a high stress job. Yeah. It's a high stress job, and um, 
it's funny, I was speaking to a, a doctor once and they said, oh, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a high school teacher. And they're like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. So I think it's they see a lot of stress-related mm. stuff from teachers. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, you just do. Mm. You just do it. Mm. And you have to practice what you teach. Okay. And we tell students, you have to be self-managed. Mm. Oh, that's really bad English. Um, you have to self-manage. You yes. have to be able to keep on top of your deadlines. You have to be able to juggle six subjects. Uh-huh. Well, so do we. Yeah, right. So do yeah. we. Yeah. And so we can't turn around and tell them, you're not able to manage yourself. Oh, you're slap across the wrist, mm. figuratively. Again, don't strike <laughs> the children. Um, <laughs> But, and then turn around and not make our own. Yeah, right. You know, so yeah. I think there's some, we've got to demonstrate resilience. So we as a, the, for those of us who are not teachers. Yes. Which is, you know, the majority. Uh, how can we help you? What can we do? What, what would be oh. a way of us sharing the load? Just, just a lot of hugs, guys. <laughs> no, I, um, I don't know. I don't know. Good question. Um, I think, hmm, I'm trying to think of a good answer that's going to help all my little teacher bros out there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to tell anybody how to parent or anything. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I wish I had an answer for you. That's a, no, <laughs> I appreciate the honesty in that. Cause yeah. it, 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 it's, a. Uh, um, Again, if it was just about the work, I mean, you think about if you're an accountant, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're working on somebody's accounts and things don't go well or whatever it is, then you come in and, you know, you go through the numbers and you go through the lines and things. Yeah. But if something's not going wrong with somebody's child, yeah, that's a different conversation. Yeah, And then is. multiply that by 10, 20, 30 kids, 40 yeah. kids, depending on what school you're at. Yep. Um, and that idea of it being about more than just the work. Um, the, the straight up, again, air quotes, teaching side of it. Yeah. I think, I mean, as an English teacher, if I was looking at for that, the biggest thing that you can do is read to your children cool. when they're young. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at like developmentally getting them where they need to be. Mm. Um, you can tell. Really? You can tell now. We were talking about it in our staff room just the other day about um, year... 12, so uh -huh. sixth form and old money, writing that we've been working on at the moment in our school. Yeah. And you can, you can pretty easily tell the kids who have not been read to as children mm. because of the way they phrase things. They're not as... Um, fluent writing is harder for them. Okay. It's not that they can't do it. It's yeah. not, I'm not saying that they can't do it or that they can't learn how to do it, but they don't have that natural... It doesn't. It doesn't just come to them naturally. Yeah. 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 I think that's a big deal. Big deal in terms of lots of things: spelling, vocabulary, um, yeah, phrasing of things, the ability to form logical arguments. Oh wait, no, they can't really do that anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's step into that then, because talking about this idea of of what a person can and cannot learn. Yes. Um, there is some quite entrenched thinking that I have observed about just intelligence broadly speaking, mm -hmm. that says either you've got it or you don't. <laughs> yeah. um, or even for the kids themselves to try something, it not go well for them the first time and take that as a signal that, oh, this is a sign from the gods uh, yeah. that I am not oh. to do this ever again. Yeah. And the number of times I hear, oh, I can't do English. Right. I'm not good at English. Yeah. Uh, or I can't do this or I can't do that. Uh it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. Um, I think, yeah, intelligence is not something that you were born with a measure of. Yeah. In my experience. And I can't talk to any studies or anything. This is purely from experience and anecdotally. But I've seen students achieve incredible things mm. that they probably didn't think that they were capable of. Right. Um, and... Kids who have improved, mm. improved throughout a year. Mm. And so maybe they didn't walk out with all excellence grades or, you know, A's in old money. Mm -hmm. But uh, they, they've improved so much and you see that growth and ability yeah. in there. I mean, that's amazing. 
when a kid's worked so hard and they get what they mm. have been striving for and their little like their face when mm. when they get a grade back that is higher than they thought it was going to be is mm. priceless see that whole idea of how you unlock somebody's potential to yeah. what they can really really do um one thing that i would actually add anybody who was listening and wants to know if there is any research in regards to what mm -hmm. you talked about uh, is a book called mindset by carol dweck which i would en encourage everybody in the world to read because it particularly speaks about this idea of a growth versus fixed mindset mm. um and that this idea of improving in any area specifically intelligence here mm. but could be anything even down to things like artistic ability comes to comes down to either believing that your intelligence quotient is a fixed sum that you're, right. you're attributed or through the application of effort over time you can improve mm. um and then of course what you've talked about too that understanding that actually relationship is key to that as well because i am aware of motivation being given at school that's more along the lines of uh that kettle prod approach which is you know mm. try harder do more you know stop slacking off yeah which is a way to do it um but this understanding that perhaps it's a, also a signal being disconnected i think so and i think um and when we use that word intelligence is interesting as well because true. that in and of Very itself true. is loaded yeah um at teachers college they teach us about gardeners intelligences okay and so he he was an educational theorist and you know the classic visual auditory hmm. kinesthetic yeah it's it kind of builds on that to be there's seven different types of intelligence mm -hmm. um and i really wish i'd bought something that had them all on it so i sounded <laughs> like i could still remember them all but they're they're kind of there's this one that's about being spatial yes. spatially intelligent yeah um things like a, a very basic example is being able to you know those people can just look at a map mm. and then just go yeah sure like they have an uh, this uh, intelligence around space spatial yeah things uh there's there's musical intelligence there's mm. um interpersonal intelligence right and intrapersonal intelligence as well and i think so using the word intelligence as kind of a catch-all for academic subjects is yeah. is kind of a misrepresentation i think yeah um and of course the, the classic is uh sir ken robinson who every teacher loves yeah. um he he talks in his his ted talk about creativity uh, schools killing creativity yeah about students who would not traditionally be seen as intelligent who mm. who creatively absolutely are and that people are ed educated out of creativity mm. uh he speaks to that um could you share a little bit more about i don't that? know that i i agree with it on that kind of a broad blanket scale okay i think that there is scope to be creative mm. um but i think formalized standardized education mm. you know very rigorous testing of xyz mm. can can stunt creativity sure but uh, he talks about things like nowhere in the world, no education system in the world teaches dance the way they teach maths or English. Uh, or okay. drama the yeah. way they teach maths and English. Yeah. Because those academic subjects are put at the top of the hierarchy. Yeah. And, and things like dance and drama, music, arts are down the bottom. Hmm. Um, and i think that's absolutely true mm. you know it's true uh that we value value as an education system they can't see my air quotes mm -hmm. just realized i do it all the time <laughs> uh they that we we look at at say you're looking at a report yeah that your student your mm -hmm. child has brought home and you look at maths english science social studies yeah the four core subjects mm -hmm. excellent they've got all a's in that mm. brilliant fantastic oh no they're lagging a bit behind in, in drama and dance mm. i don't think people would be as concerned yeah, as if it was point. reversed sure yeah uh, and i could be wrong and i'm sure it absolutely is wrong in some households but i think mm. for the most part there is a tendency to value the core subjects above what we would deem option subjects yeah yeah and uh, and there are stories that emerge quite commonly as well particularly for again for for artists but also even people like say entrepreneurs mm -hmm. which is interesting because it speaks specifically to that you hear a lot about guys who did not do well at school at all 
Um, and look in my experience of entrepreneurship, it is incredibly intellectually demanding. Absolutely. Uh, and yet you can go through school yeah. not thinking you're intelligent. That's right. And people walk out of school thinking they're not intelligent. Yeah. Because the things that they are good at, the things mm. they are strong at, are not valued as much. Mm. And that's that's a lot of what uh, Robinson talks about in that talk mm. is the idea of that we value certain subjects above others. Yeah. And I think, you know, I am an English teacher, but I think that's wrong. I think people, everybody has a strength in life, at yeah. least one, yeah. <laughs> many strengths in life. Um, and I think we can get sucked into the, the academic inflation. So what do you do then when you spot a kid in your class whose passion or skill set is, is not well, among those core subjects. Well, Andrew, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, we talk a lot in our department about relevance. So we've, we've got a really kind of new dynamic program going in our department at the moment where we've got, we've kind of divided our senior classes into either literature or literacy based. Mm -hmm. And the literacy based one is almost exclusively internal. So they don't have exams. There is an exam they can choose to do uh, if they need specific types of credits for university entrance. They can they can choose to opt into that, but they don't have to. And I think particularly around that literacy topic, mm -hmm. uh, that literacy course, we're trying to build as much relevance in as possible. And the way we're doing that, you know, that's one of those things, oh yeah, we're bringing in relevance. <laughs> what does it mean? Um, <laughs> Buzzwords, think more yeah. synergy. Yeah. Think more synergy, guys. Chuck some more three-letter acronyms in there. Oh, mm. uh, and so what we're doing with the, that course is they get to choose a lot of what they do. So one of the standards that we do, it's a kind of, it's a normal NCEA standard, it's called information literacy. Mm. And I think it is one of the most valuable standards that we have in our repertoire. Okay. Yeah. And so they choose a controversial issue. It could be anything, mm -hmm. anything that interests them. Fantastic. And that's what I love about it is they can choose something that interests them. Yeah. Um, say they're a sports person. Yeah. Say they're very athletic. Uh, they can choose to do something on, you know, performance enhancing drugs and sport and whether or not we should start cool. to allow them yeah. to be involved in sport. Yeah whatever it is, they can take their interest, their passion, and bring it into English. Mm. And then they research that topic. They have to find six independent sources that are reliable. Mm. Um, and from that, they write a report based on what they've read and yeah. interpreted and their own conclusions at the end. Yeah. Now, what I love about it is, A, I get to see their passion, mm. which as a teacher, that's an, that's an in opportunity. It's an opportunity yeah. to learn something about that kid that makes them tick. Also for a parent, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also that is a skill that no matter what you do in your life, yeah. you will use. Mm. It's, you know, it's a skill that no matter what you do, you have to go and seek out information take in that information yeah. and make an informed decision based on that information. Right. Whether it's buying a TV yeah. Um, yeah. or planning an overseas trip. Yeah. You know, you consult TripAdvisor. You consult <laughs> other people who've been. Yeah. You use those primary sources to make your own choices. Mm. And I think learning that skill is invaluable. Mm. Um, and while it, it sits under the umbrella of English because it's a written assessment, I guess, they can bring in their PE, they can bring in their science, they can bring in their music, they can bring in whatever it is. I've had ones on, um, should copyright be shortened mm. for music? Okay. So that stuff comes out of copyright earlier because that's something they were interested in. Yeah. And it ended up developing into, is copyright even a thing that's worth having now? Right. With the, you know, free and easy access to music that we have. Yeah. Um, and they get to explore these ideas and I just, I love it. I mm. love seeing what they, what they write. And I think some people struggle with that because it's a lot less like what you were saying about a teacher stands at the front of the room and tells the kids they are the font of knowledge and they yeah. share everything and then the kids take it in and then go to an exam and write it down. Mm. That's not what teaching and learning is anymore. Right. Um, or it shouldn't be. Yeah. So... I, I love how that gives a, a positive experience of learning. Um, that whole sense that to learn is fun. Um, mm. That I know, like, I didn't realize I liked learning yeah. until probably a solid 
six or seven years after I'd mm-hmm. finished like university. Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Finally in a position to go, what do I like? And then suddenly go, my goodness, I, I, li- I like reading. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's it. And you've just got to get sometimes that thing that hooks you in. And yeah. I think my biggest success story of the year so far has been a student who I taught last year and taught this year, and he is in that class that is um, the smaller year 13 class, uh-huh. who had almost pride in his voice when he said he'd never read a chapter book. First of all, he called it a chapter, <laughs> a chapter book. book. It's adorable. <laughs> and then he, he almost had pride in his voice. because yeah. um, And that, like that's another thing. They want to get a rise out of you. They yeah. know I'm an English teacher, so they want to get a rise out of you and see right. you know what buttons can they push. Sure. Um, and... We, I, I got him for an assessment that he was trying, he was doing for his university entrance, uh, like qualification. Mm. He had to read two novels, and so I gave him a selection of shorter novels mm. to choose from. Okay, you know, let's ease him into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't just t- chuck down War and Peace and be like, <laughs> "Have at it, bro." <laughs> um, and he picked up a book, and he was silent for days. And this kid never shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he he came up to me after about three days and he was like, Miss, I really like this pig book. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. And then the next day, he'd obviously finished the book and he was like on his phone watching a video. And I was like, oh, here we go. This is in a class. This is in class. Yeah, right. Because devices are just pretty normal in our class now. Most of the kids do their work online. Okay. Um, and I was like, "Come on, name. What are you? What are you doing? Yeah. You know, you know, you're not supposed to be doing yeah. that in class. We've got a rule." Yeah. And he went, "No, no, no, miss. It's about the pig book. I'm watching a documentary on the Russian Revolution because I want to know which pigs which in Animal Farm." And I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Woo! So you just got to find the in. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of those things that's super easy to say. But if I thought, hmm, I really think this kid will be into Animal Farm, that thought would yeah. never no. have crossed my mind. No. Um, but from that, uh, you know, I hope, I hope 10 years down the track, yeah. he still thinks about Animal Farm sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, it's just if nothing else, he's now had a positive experience of learning. That's right. That's right. And I think a lot of these students don't no you can walk out of school and feel completely mm. you know disenfranchised like you, oh, you were never listened to no no and oh i, I mean i, I know my sucks. my marks got progressively worse in high school from like mm-hmm. when i started to you know when i finally snuck out the, the door in seventh <laughs> yeah. form thankfully i had enough credit up till that point that i was still seen as one of the mm-hmm. really good kids who tried really hard but by the end of it i was just kind of like filling a seat yeah um and then, you know, you go on to another three years of, here's more stuff you have to learn because we said. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think giving them that choice, giving them that agency, it makes learning more powerful when you mm. have buy-in. Mm. Mm. Because you, you'll remember it more than anything else. If you're forced to do something, you don't remember it as much as when you choose to do something. No, exactly. Uh, so I think, yeah, it was that was like... A shining moment <laughs> for me. Um, but I think the other thing on that is that it it, it kind of makes you think, well, you know, if I can find that one thing, mm. then they'll be they'll be fine. I'll be set for life. No, that that would require them to be logical beings, which of course they are not. <laughs> well, yeah. So it was actually the point I was about to start um, into now as well. Um, let's talk about brain damage kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved. Look, this is what. <laughs> When you asked me about doing a podcast, I said, yeah, let's talk about how I love teenagers, even though they're brain damaged. Yeah. Uh, because they are um, in, in almost in quite a literal way. Yeah. They're uh, during the teenage years, the frontal lobe, I heard it put beautifully that it shuts down for refurbishment and it's like a shop with just a kiosk window open. <laughs> uh, so it, it goes down to around 90% okay. of it stops working. Wow. While it makes the connections between okay. it. Yeah. Uh, and it, it strengthens the brain. Sure. But it's also your logical part of your brain. Yeah, right. And and teenagers are more governed by the limbic system, mm-hmm. which is reward seeking. Yeah. Uh, it is, there's no cause and effect. Yeah. Uh, it's just do what feels good now. 
yeah that reactionary yeah part. and my 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 best example of that is a student who got stood down from school um for being in woodwork and cutting the power cable to the lathe while it was going <laughs> and he came back and i said mate what happened and he was like i'm not gonna lie miss i saw the scissors i saw the cable and i just thought what if <laughs> 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 I was like, all right, bro. Okay, all man. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, that's it. That's it. He wanted to know what would happen. Mm. He didn't think, huh, what if I electrocute myself? Or, huh, mm. what if I get in trouble for this? I'm sure this is not in the school regulations. You know, yeah. that wasn't what governed his thoughts in that time. It right. was, this feels good. Um, I want to do it. So yeah. I've done it. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's, it's, you have to understand that about teenagers, that sometimes they make really stupid decisions. Yeah. And it's sucky, but it's part of their whole development. And they, I'm not saying they shouldn't be held accountable for their actions. Yeah. Because they should, because that's how we learn. Yeah. You can't just go, oh, well, they're being a teenager. <laughs> Off they go. Do what you like. Yeah. There has to be a system of learning how the world sure. works, how cause and effect happens. But I mm. think understanding why they behave, how they behave well, is it speaks really to important. intention really, doesn't it? That's I right. mean, that's, that's a massive yeah. thing is that when a person does something, um, I, I learned very recently about Hanlon's razor, which I think we've spoken a little bit about before as well, which is mm -hmm. basically just that you should never attribute to malice that which can be attributed to carelessness. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it works not just for teenagers, but for everybody. Sure. Uh, but we have a tendency when somebody does something of saying, why were they doing it? Well, they were doing it to mm -hmm. get at me. They were doing it to this or that. It, yeah. And usually we interpret stuff as being a personal, personally motivated. Yeah. Whereas more often than not, they weren't thinking about you at all. They really weren't. And it was just, you know, you were the lathe cord yeah. of your life <laughs> and they just thought, what if I cut you? No, that's not the right expression. <laughs> the point is. <laughs> exactly. But that, it's so true. Yeah. I, like, honestly, when they don't do their homework, yeah. they're not thinking, oh, I'm really going to get a Mrs. Curtis by not doing this piece of homework. Yeah. They're thinking, hmm, I could do my homework or I could play video games. And mm. you know which one's going to satisfy that limbic system better? Yeah. The video games are. Um, the other thing that's important to think about with kids and this, you know, disclaimer to all you parents and caregivers mm. is they have to avoid cats not the small furry felines thank you what the musical yeah i would no. avoid that <laughs> sorry Karen. nor the musical no cats are uh caffeine alcohol tobacco and sugar okay i'm not like on the whole let's go sugar free bandwagon right um so having an irish whiskey is like irish <laughs> coffee is like the worst, worst like three out of four right there and, yeah anyway uh, but they they can severely impact in high you know, high levels with sugar. Um, they can severely impact the development of the brain in teenagers. So how much sugar are we talking though? Some. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like excessive amounts of okay. sugar. Right. Excessive amounts of sugar um, to the point where they're they're addicted. Oh right. Yeah. 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 It's gonna that craving for that will overtake a lot of everything else. Oh sure. So um, it's it's really important that they avoid those kind of things. And of course, cannabis and things like that as well. Yeah, right. But that's illegal. Mm. So this is just legal things that they yeah. should avoid. Yeah. Um, so where does then... Because, I mean, those things are... Um, I mean, it's good, good to be aware of those too. But I want to come back to that point you made about the video game thing. Yeah. Because this is a biggie that I have heard secondhand. You know, what do I do about my kids wanting to play video <laughs> games? Oh, well, see, now you've gone to one of my favorite topics, which is that video games are good for children. Ooh. Yeah. I know. I mean, You it's... must be the most popular teacher <laughs> in the world. I'll tell you what, though, but going back to that Hookins thing, is yeah. that I do, I do play a bit of video games, and the minute I drop a reference in, right. I've got a bunch of them. Yeah, right. You know, you can make just a small sentence, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, do you play video games, miss? <laughs> and, it's like, and I'm not saying that every teacher should go play video games, but it's about making an effort to see something. Sure. Um, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, I learned that very quickly in my first year teaching. I went once 
to see a boys basketball game. Mm. And I had those boys for the rest of the year. I bet. Because they thought, wow, you went out of your way mm, to come. That's that connection thing again, Absolutely. Right? And yeah. I had one thing that I could talk to them about every week. How'd the game go this week? Yeah, nice. Um, and so I think that's really important as well. Yeah. But uh, what were we talking about? So the video game thing <laughs> oh, yeah, from the, the video kid's game. point of view. Yes. Um, so video games are... It's the same as it. It's moderation, isn't it? Right. And that's where people need to step in because if they just think it feels good to play video yeah. games, they'll just keep doing it. Yeah, sure. So there has to be some kind of limitations mm. on that. But I think in terms of a way of relaxing and a mm. way of de-stressing mm. and a way of spending their time, video games is really good. Mm. Um, online gaming in particular teaches them teamwork. Right. Yeah. It teaches them spatial awareness. Sure. It teaches them hand-eye coordination. It teaches mm. them strate- strategic planning. Mm. Um, from Minecraft to you know Call of Duty, they have to use different skills. Yeah. And it's active relaxation. Yeah. As sure. opposed to watching TV, which see, is passive relaxation. See, I love that you said that too, because I spoke with um, someone, actually the first podcast I ever did, mm-hmm. um, with someone who does uh, youth speaking in schools. Yes. And they made this point about how for a lot of parents, it's, it's even just a point of being able to relate because they watched TV. Um, totally. And, and kids are playing video games. But this idea that, yeah, if you are playing a video game, you're mm-hmm. far more actively involved um, and a lot of games these days as well make a big feature out of decision making as well that your Definitely. actions affect and morality yeah Mor- moral decision making sure um, and another thing coming off that as well is there are ways that you can engage with your children if you're a parent or a caregiver um, even an aunt uncle hanging out with them whatever it is however you interact with them there are ways that you can get in based on the same skill set so I have a, a really close friend his children were really his his sons were really into video games and he was like that's great i see the benefits in it but mm. um i'm lacking that connection there okay so he got a bunch of um tabletop games mm. that are based on the same kind of ideas as a lot of video games that okay. we're playing okay um quite in-depth board games you know this isn't scrabble yeah um, right but it allowed him to have a a point to hanging out with his kids yeah right something that he could focus on but it built that relationship with them so. actually you reminded me of a story i heard recently which i thought was amazing which was with terry cruz mm-hmm. terry cruz yeah. um if you don't know who he is watch um brooklyn 99 um he was in the old spice ads before the um i can't remember the guy who currently did them anyway mm-hmm. the point is yeah um he said how he had this he, his son was really into gaming um, and he realized he didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. So he actually went out and bought a whole bunch of stuff. He went out onto Twitter and said, hey, guys, I'm going to build a computer with my son. Cool. What do I do? And everyone went, okay, this is all the stuff you need. So yeah. he went out and bought it all. And then he built the computer with his son. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just became this whole thing again yeah. where they could share this experience now. And it's the same with parents as it's for teachers. You know, There are things that I have to do with kids. I have to get them to do writing they don't want to do. <laughs> right. Uh, I have to, you know, with my year nines, get them to do vocabulary book once a week. Uh-huh. Things like that. Uh-huh. Um, I, so I can write a report and say they did their homework. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, but, and as a parent, you have to look after your child. Yeah. There are things, these boxes you got to take. you got to feed them. Mm. you got to dress them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Someone's writing down, feed them. Yeah. 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 Um, That's what I was doing wrong this whole time. But to build that relationship, and again, I mean relationship, not buddy-buddy, not Mm. best friends, but a relationship, you've got to have that thing. And massive caveat, I don't have kids. Um, So I'm not, you know, this is one of those fancy people who doesn't have children telling you how to raise your children. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But I, I, you've got to find that thing. And Mm. sometimes you've got to be the adult in the room and Mm. step out of your comfort zone and not make them come to you. Sure. You go to them. Yeah. I love that you came back to that relationship thing too because something that I've observed and perhaps this, this expresses that was that this idea of, of um, types of relationship um, seems to have been something we're not aware of in our culture and I'll mm. expand on that in that it is, there's something to be said for relationships that are ones that you are receiving something from 
Um, and you need those. It can be towards mm-hmm. mentors and people that um, basically when you're around, the flow is more one way than the other. Yeah. You know, and then there are those relationships on a peer level where there are those who share an experience with you and they provide a broader context. Mm. And then there are those where you are the one who is the vast repository of knowledge and it is more you giving to them. Yeah. Um, and from what you said there, what strikes me is that the problem you get is when somebody is supposed to be, particularly when it comes to adult to child, mm. um, in that you know top-down kind of mode, but they've actually gone into a peer-to-peer or sometimes the other way around where they're looking to get something from their kid or yeah. uh, you know, a relationship like that. And that's where the b- balance goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So the relationship thing gets distorted, not because relationship's wrong, but because maybe in a relationship where it should be Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's definitely true. Um, for it, it can be true for mm. some people. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, and I think you, it's a trap that young teachers, both in terms of age yeah. and in terms of years teaching, can fall into, that you want the kids to like you. Right. Because, I mean, don't we all want yeah, people to like yeah, us? Yeah, And you've yeah. got these 30 people staring at you and you want them to like you. Sure. Uh, and it took me a while to realize, oh, that doesn't help them. Was there a moment that it taught you that? Not, not a specific moment. I think it was more a gradual over time. And I worked out one day that I didn't... It's not that I didn't care that they didn't like me. Mm. Or I didn't care if they liked me. Mm. But I worked out that they actually don't need me to be their friend. They yeah. need me to be their teacher. Yeah. You mm. know, that's what they need from me. They don't need me to be like, oh, yay, I'm mm. your friend. Mm. They need me to be the person who's going to get them where they want to go. Mm. And sometimes being their teacher is more than just telling them the information they need to know. Sure. Sometimes it is being that open door for them to come and talk about something. Yeah. Um, but it's not, I shouldn't base my teaching around getting them to like me. Mm. So then tell me more about the, that dynamic then when it's, when it's, I guess, in a healthy way what does that look like how do you know when you've hit that space with a a child are there moments that happen yeah when they start hanging around after the bells rung right to talk about stuff and the majority of my kids stay around to talk about what we've been talking about in the lesson yeah um and they get different stuff from different teachers i think some teachers are the ones they go to for advice and guidance Mm I've tended not to be that teacher (laughs) occasionally, but no, they like, they get jazzed by what we're doing and they want to kind of discuss it further. I think I work really hard to build a a classroom that discussion is part of. Mm -hmm. It's part of the way that we learn is sharing and hearing each other's ideas and they just want to keep it going. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, that's Mm. amazing. Mm. Um, I teach... A unit I'm teaching it at the moment on the podcast serial. Uh huh. Yes. So instead of doing a film, we're doing a podcast. It's pretty revolutionary. Yeah. Um, and I love it. They're so into it though, and I think, and then there's another thing I want to you know speak to is the idea that if you are excited about what you're teaching, mm. they will be excited mm. for the most part. They yeah. will get on board. I mean, I teach Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people are like, why? It's old. No one talks like that. Um, <laughs> Our loss. Yeah. Uh, but I, I walk in there and I'm like, it's the best in the world. Oh my gosh. Shakespeare's sure. amazing. Yeah. And by the end of it, they're like so into it. Cool. And they were like debating whether or not Hamlet is a good guy or a bad guy. And we, we look at it through different lenses. Yeah. And the idea that one of the main things going back to that idea of relevance uh-huh. and how does Shakespeare fit into relevance? Well, why do we still learn it 450 years later? Sure. Why are we still interested in it? Because the themes of existentialism, the questioning of to be or not to be, while a cliche mm. is a question that every person asks themselves at some point in their lives. And once you can get them to understand beyond the language used, yeah. that the ideas are relevant to them today, yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. The language can transcend time. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, if anyone wants to learn about Hamlet, uh, I'm yeah. available. <laughs> Look, we've got about five minutes. Okay. But I want to talk about then with education, if we can get a bit higher level with it, because mm-hmm. you mentioned people like Sir Ken Robinson, who sure. also love that man. Um, in terms of where education is at now and how it's developing what do you see in terms of maybe the limitations of where we're at or what do you see the opportunities? Uh, I think the opportunities are amazing. Um, I think 
you know, NCEA is an interesting system. Mm. It's very different to a lot of places around the world. Uh, it's got a, it's got its flaws, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I think a lot of the time we 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 got into a, a situation for a while where we were teaching a lot to assessment, and what I mean by that is we had to fit X amount of credits into the year. Yeah. And so you weren't learning for the fun of learning. You were learning because yeah. this deadline is coming up. We have to do this. Yeah, sure. And I think we're moving away from that again mm. um, by giving them those choices back, mm. by giving them the ability to tailor the credits that they're getting to what they want mm. and what they're interested in. And I think that's super important. And I look at that year 13 class that I have. Mm. I have 15 kids on the roll at present. Not one of them is doing the same program. Mm. Now that's nuts. And I'm not saying that <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't do that with a class of 30. Yeah, sure. It would be so hard. Um, but because it's a smaller class and because some of them have already got year 12 credits and some of them need to get those year 12 credits, there's, mm. they're working in kind of groups of two or three where they're working on the same assessment. Mm. But NCEA allows you to do that. Yeah. There's not one set program and everything's in the exam at the end. Mm. And it's, it's, I think we have a, a bit more power to, to give kids the ability to succeed. Hand grenade. How mm-hmm. do you then, when people talk about, say, preferring like things like Cambridge and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, what are your thoughts there? I was a crammer at okay. school. Yeah. I would do in my particularly in my later years of high school mm-hmm. i wouldn't do very much yeah right <laughs> i was a kick back and relax and cut the lathe cord kind of kid <laughs> <laughs> until like two weeks before the exam and then i would like furiously read through my notes the mm. night before uh, and find a way somehow to get across that magical 46 percent line and there are kids like me yeah who exams are brilliant for mm. uh and there are kids who are not like that sure. at all. Mm. And I think, again, NCA allows you to build a program mm. that you can focus on one or the other. Um, but I think it, it's, yeah, it is challenging for some people to be constantly under the pump yeah. of credits, especially if you have six subjects and six big assessments mm. coming in at the same time. That's tough, man. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when you were talking in your first podcast um, with Mr. Shannon. Yes. About, uh, and he was talking about the, the risk factors or the, yeah. the things that impact kids. And he said something about, you know, people never guess the first two. And I was like, anxiety and stress. <laughs> <laughs> it's anxiety and stress. And yeah. I was in the car with my husband. Yeah. And I was going, I bet it's anxiety and stress. Yeah. And turns out it was. So, so. <laughs> best teacher of the world is here. <laughs> So, I mean, that's not, and I don't think that's a shocker to anybody, certainly at our school. Okay. We talk about it all the time. That kids Interesting. Just, I, I've never seen anxiety like there is now. And really? I don't know, you know, what do we do? What do we do? It's a massive thing. Sure. Uh, and we, I, again, I work really hard to try and make it as stress-free as possible. Mm. I teach uh, an accelerate class. Mm. So the very top class of a year level. And... Um, I make them do English for pleasure lessons. Okay. <laughs> so they're not allowed to study. They okay. have to either bring in a book or they could write with yeah. pen and paper. Yeah. But they have to engage in English for pleasure for 50 minutes and they're not allowed to study. Interesting. Wow. Because they're like, but, uh, 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 huh. but there's got this joy in it. There's joy in language. There's joy in writing or reading. Or oh, I love a good word. Yeah. <laughs> oh, using big words. It's it's yeah. you've got to yeah relax, relax. Just, just enjoy. I mean, look, something that's shifted in my own thinking. I know even just from listening to you now is is that idea that I, I know at least with the NCEA, there's a little more scope for totally passion and 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 people's you know, as opposed to because again cramming like I could pass an exam. Yeah. Boy, could I pass an exam. Mm-hmm. Um, my finest achievement was, um, this was more of a university thing. I had a, like a 40% assessment that was like 3,000 words that I started that day, mm-hmm. crammed it all in there and got a pass. Yep. It's like, hey, there you go. How much did I do? How much can I tell you about what I did then? Nothing, Nothing. at all. No. Um, but tell you what, I'm going to stop myself because there was one thing then that you brought up that I mm-hmm. want to make sure we talk about. How do you then see, is there scope for things like emotional intelligence um, and those kind of things to be brought into the syllabus. Yes, no. What do you think? Yes. 
and how would it work? That is all. No. Um, <laughs> uh, well, again, at our school, we have a class in um, year nine. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it, they take it twice a week called Learning to Learn. Okay. Where they learn about the brain. They learn right. about uh, interacting with other people. They learn mm. all these like interesting and amazing skills about how people work and tick and mm. teamwork. And, um, and it's, it's, I'll be the first to admit that when it first came out, when we f- was first mm. proposed to us, I was like, really? Yeah. Is that important? But mm. the things that they're learning in it are really great. Um, and I think there is definitely scope. And the other thing I would speak to about that is uh, health as a subject. Yes. Is amazing. Okay. It's amazing. Um, and I think it's one of those subjects that's really undervalued. Sure. People yeah. look at it and think, oh, health, it's a throwaway subject. Yeah, right. But it's not. First of all, they have to write incredibly detailed and sure. in-depth assessments. Yeah. Um, and they also look at issues that make them think more critically yeah they have to look at moral topics yes they look at things like euthanasia um they look at abortion Uh different topics that they have to learn to have the emotional intelligence Mm. to deal with in a non-biased way Mm. you know because they Mm. all come into it with their own opinions on stuff yeah, and I think while subjects like sociology or um, health encourage that, yeah, you can bring it into lots of different subjects. Sure, um, we are currently in one of my other classes studying the film Little Miss Sunshine. Uh huh. And I've just started today with them. We're talking about um, child beauty pageants and are they good for children or bad for children? Right. And they walk in the door going, "No, they're terrible. Mm-hmm. They're really bad." Um, and then we watched this documentary called Baby Beauty Queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a BBC documentary. And that has two children who are everything you're currently picturing in your head. <laughs> that's them. And then one child who comes from a low socioeconomic background. Yeah. Um, was very, very lacking, lacking in confidence. Uh, you know, she was very, very self yeah deprecating and yeah. she was it was six but yeah. she she was like oh mm-hmm. i don't i think everyone will laugh at me and stuff and sure. they see this development of the child who then gets on stage and learns to be confident and mm. to perform mm. um and so i think you know even in that little example we're looking at don't just go with your preconceived notions mm. you you need to look at the world in a bigger and more interesting way well and coming back to an earlier point you made as well about the subjects that we put the most weight on the, the traditionally yeah. academic, again, air quotes. Um, I need to come like with a sound effect or something that I, I play know, whenever I, I do air quotes. Which is like, yeah, exactly, right? So we are oh, air quotes. Um, but even that, the, I hate to call them this, but you know, the life skills mm. kind of things that we go, oh, you know, they're, you know, they're the bum subjects yeah. or whatever it is. But then you think, well, if you look at the quality of our society these days, where we're all obese and our stress levels are through the roof, mm-hmm. um, and we, you know, highly medicated. Um, and then we go, maybe we should teach people some of this stuff. I wonder where we could do it. If only there was a place where people went in their formative years. That Absolutely. You could somehow, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and the other thing that I'll come back to Rita Pearson right at the end here. I, yeah. Are we at the end? See, yes. I'm doing the teacher sum up. Okay, yes. so bringing yeah. it back to the beginning of the lesson again. Yeah. Um, is that she talks about, talking about relationship. She says... Are you going to like all the children that you teach? Right. Of course not. And she also makes the, the point that makes me giggle every time I listen to it, that, that your most difficult children are never absent. <laughs> and all the teachers are going, amen. Yeah. Uh, but they can never, ever know right. that you don't like them. Mm. Because that's not, it's not personal. Yeah. It, it can't be, I don't like them as a person. They can't know that. Mm. Ever, I mean, that'll drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. I have days where I go home and I'm like, "What?" Oh, look, I've heard parents say the same with their own children. Yeah. So you know, um, but you can't yeah. ever tell them. Right. They have to know that that is somewhere that they are safe. Yeah. And that they are accepted, mm. and that they can learn, mm. and that they're gonna leave better than when they walked in the door. Mm. They are gonna go somewhere and be somebody. And that they, I mean, and this is a lot of what. Pearson says, and that's you know stuck with me through it, is that 
they deserve the education that they get, whether you like them or not. Mm. They deserve the education. Steph Curtis, everybody. Yes, I'm a very proud brother-in-law. She is not the hero your kids deserve. She's the hero they need. She may also be Batman. We don't know for sure. Um, I hope you found that enlightening. I really did. Um, I used to make jokes when I was a kid as well about how teachers got 12 weeks off a year and that kind of nonsense. Um, but to understand what a passionate and dedicated teacher really goes through, um, what, what drives them, and even to how we can support one another and the perspective they provide, um, there you go. It kind of speaks for itself, right? So I hope you did enjoy that. Um, you can send any feedback through to me at the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com. Uh, we also now have a Facebook page for the show because, you know, that's what we do. Um, if you actually just search the Andrew Curtis Show, you'll find it pretty easy. Uh, otherwise, I think if you literally go facebook.com slash the Andrew Curtis Show, ta-da! Uh, either way, look forward to hearing from you and interacting there. Otherwise, we'll be back again by we, I mean me, uh, back with another podcast not too long from now. Yeah.